This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. I'm actually not there, but I'm here. Yeah. Parents returned, basement again. Return to the podcast for the first time in a while. How yeah. Have you? How's it been going, man? It's all right. We've been, you know, muddling through and we'll muddle yeah. through some more until you're actually back in the building. When is that, by the way? Uh, next week sometime. Okay. Middle of next week, I'll be back and uh, we'll be reunited just in time for training camp. Mm. And uh, hopefully we're going to be, you know, moving around for some training camps, maybe checking some stuff out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, uh, little PFF podcast road trip. So that'll that should be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. So uh, you know, it's still July, but we do have some news, Sam. We had a pretty, pretty newsy weekend for uh, for July when it comes to the NFL. DeAndre New Hopkins finally decides on a destination he didn't go the veteran route sam and just like you know do it in august after training camp no but um you know signs with the tennessee titans we have joe mixon taking a pay cut we've got uh, evan ingram from the jaguars uh, signing a long-term deal so um all sorts of fun stuff going on here yeah and williams signed last week so and of course today we have the uh the rugby video finally the charity event that we've been working on for what seems like 17 years it's finally done. The video's done. It'll be up on uh, on the YouTube channel as its own video as well, but it'll also round out this show. So hang around to the end to see Steve attempting rugby skills and the absolute ineptitude <laughs> of both of our physical uh, statuses right now. It's some pretty disgusting stuff to watch. Have Have you seen the video yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have not. Yeah, no, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty embarrassing from start to finish for all of us. Was that was concerned. that on purpose that I haven't seen it yet? That'll uh, be no, the I premiere for me. Once you leave the building, you know, and you just disappear, I think you just we stop being included in things. No, oh, understood. I guess that happens. Yeah. So yeah, stick around, especially if you're on YouTube or if you're listening, go check out YouTube. We'll have the uh, the rugby video up on this show and as uh, its own video on the YouTube channel. Before we get into it, though, as a parent. Your child's well-being is your top priority. You want to see them chase their dreams, embrace life's adventures, and thrive in this world. But you also know life can be unpredictable, and that's why it's important to plan for the unexpected so they can continue to thrive no matter what. 
That's where Fabric comes in, designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies to fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage in less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Sam, let's get into DeAndre Hopkins signing with the Tennessee Titans, a team that, as of a few days ago, I think pretty clearly had the worst receiving situation in the NFL, if, you know, bottom three at best. What is uh, what is Nuke's addition to the wide receiver room do for this offense? Yeah, I mean, from Tennessee's perspective, I think it's a great move. Um, the only way you would say that it isn't is if you couch it in the context, which has to linger over this a little bit of – you could have just paid A.J. Brown. <laughs> All of Everything you've done since then has been about, oh, man, we don't have any wide receivers anymore. We kind of need to fix that. And, yeah, you, you could have just paid the man what he wanted and what he was worth. And it's you're getting pretty close to that now in terms of the amount of money that they've given up. Like, that's the, the biggest sort of thing to come from this is it's quite a lot of money for New Hopkins. And in this world of, like, will he – you know, how much does he want to ring? How much does he only want to look at contenders? When the rubber meets the road and the contract offers are on the table, ultimately he's going to go where the money is. And that was apparently Tennessee relative to anybody else that he could have gone to. Certainly, you know, the the true ring-chasing type teams, Buffalo and Kansas City were the two that were always talked about. I, they were just never going to go to this kind of dollar figure. Maybe New England would have, but that's kind of in the same boat as Tennessee of like, theoretical contenders like yeah sure they could probably get in there but they're not buffalo they're not tennessee so I, this is kind of what happens i think that everybody might have these ideals of yeah i want to go take less money go to a contender chase that championship but are you gonna do that when it means sacrificing for real like a, an, an actual dollar amount you know it's, it's easy to say in theory when no money is on the table but as soon as somebody goes well there's 20-something million over here, and there's 10 million over here. Which one are you going to? How much is your uh, ring chasing actually worth to you? Yeah, it's been reported as a two-year, $26 million deal worth up to $32 million in, in incentives. Um, so it's in between that, you know, he was he was breaking the scale for a few right. years up in that $26, 27000000 million a year range. And it's it's certainly not that like one year eight million dollar uh, flyer or anything like that. So it's it's very much in between those. I think it's I think for at least a second it's fair to you for you to bring up AJ Brown and to you know say hey that would have been a better option. We're we're over a year removed from from that decision. So based off of where the Titans are right now, it's an interesting one because again they were second year of Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook Aquina. Mm-hmm whole bunch of unproven receivers uh you know chica kwonkwo who had a really nice rookie season at tight end but you're really looking at this group of pass catchers and saying they're going to have some serious issues they're gonna they're gonna have to rely on just derrick henry and uh ryan Tannehill being a game manager but 
this does potentially open up the offense a little bit. Hopkins has a history of elevating quarterbacks, much like A.J. Brown has done or did for for Ryan Tannehill. Um, I think the the other question just becomes, I think from a Hopkins standpoint, he was just going for the money, Sam. He wasn't caring about uh, the situation, the rings, even if, you know, it's not that the Patriots would have been a better situation, but, you know, he could have maybe pursued the Bills, the Chiefs, and some other contenders at a cheaper price. But he was going with the two teams, that we're going to potentially pay him some money. So from a, I want to talk about this from a New England perspective too, because they missed out. But from a Titans perspective, is this enough? Like, does does New Hopkins have enough left in the tank? We've seen they 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 went they made, they traded for Julio Jones a couple years ago. He didn't have enough left in the tank. Does Hopkins have enough left in the tank over these last couple years where he was elite just two years ago, but the last two years not looking as good as he was previously? Well, I think the biggest thing for Julio was injuries, right? And injuries have started to take their toll on New Compkins as well. And that's the big kind of question mark of, well, if he's now going to be an injury-prone receiver going forward, then it's a different conversation. But if we assume we're getting a healthy DeAndre Hopkins, then I think his tape shows he absolutely still has juice. And in particular, if you already have somebody that can scare defenses deep, because that's the one area where I think there is sign that he might not be able to do it anymore um you look at his tape the the games where he was actually playing he can't really run I mean he was always he was never a fast receiver anyway right he was a guy that ran like a four five something 40 times so any loss of pace whatsoever is going to basically remove the threat of a, a go ball from his repertoire or any go balls that he gets are back shoulder plays, right? They're jump balls. They're just thrown to space and let him go and get the ball. So that threat of like a legitimate deep uh, force, I think is pretty much off the table now. But in every other area, he's still really good. Like he snaps off routes really quickly. He stops on a dime. You know, he's got great hands. He understands how to play leverage. All those things, minimum, he's still an excellent possession receiver and gets more effective the more of a viable deep threat you already have in the offense. And I think Traylon Burks has already shown he can be that deep threat. Like, he has the explosiveness, the speed to run off a deep coverage and and open up space for Hopkins. So I think in isolation, he fits for pretty much any team in the NFL. And in particular, in combination with Traylon Burks, I think they maximize each other's skill set right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Hopkins as far as the as far as the film goes. Still so good at just getting open against zone, against man coverage. He was never the guy that was going to create a ton of separation, but he could. That was kind of an underrated part of his game because I think we all uh, remember him making those spectacular catches all the time. He still has that in his repertoire. We saw the one-handed touchdown he had it for Kyler Murray last year in the red zone. He still has all of that, but he can separate well enough. So I'm with you. Short, intermediate. Hopkins can do some damage. He was kind of sneaky good after the catch in Arizona compared to what he was in Houston. They used him on on some shorter routes, and he could, uh, you know, create just a little bit, even though that's not the best part of his game. So I don't expect a Julio Jones type of situation. I brought it up just for comparison. Right. I expect a guy that's still productive. um, Also a guy that just gives the quarterback somebody, hey, they're playing man coverage, just throw it up to him, right? You don't have to rely on Traylon Burks, Westbrook Akina, the other guys, to just, you know, create separation all the time. You have a, a throw-it-up type of option, and I think Duke can still do that. So I think it helps Tennessee. It's also interesting that we've always we viewed Tennessee as in this competitive rebuild mode 
the entire offseason. They were cutting salary. They cut, you know, Robert Woods and uh, Ben Jones at center. They're cutting players left and right. And then now they're putting money into New Hopkins. We thought maybe, hey, they, uh, you know, they, they're they're bringing in Will Levis in the second round. They're they're looking to the future, but this is still Ryan Tannehill playing under center, handing the ball to Derrick Henry, running play action. And they also don't, this is the type of team that doesn't necessarily need three receivers. If it's Hopkins and Traylon Burks and Chigakwakwo at, at, at tight end, it's kind of how the offense wants to operate. So I think Tennessee, all of a sudden, just just by one player, is actually a lot more competitive than, you know, than they looked just four days ago. Yeah, and you also have to bear in mind with Tennessee is that they're generally better than the sum of their parts. They're better than they look on paper just perpetually. Like the Mike Vrabel effect, the fact that this team seems to constantly overperform like we're looking at this team we're like uh, looking at all the flaws and saying eh on paper they're certainly nowhere near the class of the AFC the Buffaloes the Cincinnati's the Kansas City's they're they're not in that class but they're in a much easier division than that and if you're looking at this team and saying you know is it inconceivable that they match pace with Jacksonville and could still make the playoffs and you know at that point all bets are off like the way they play football is a problem for any of those teams once it gets to January um, and those kinds of games. Like, it's it's not at all inconceivable that this team is simply better than most people were giving them credit for. And the single biggest problem with the team was wide receiver. So if you go and get a DeAndre Hopkins, spend a bit of money there. And look, it's I think it's, it's fine to sort of point out the folly of, yeah, maybe you should have just paid A.J. Brown. But also... That's done now, right? There's no fixing that. So with that already in already part of the status quo, now you need to fix that mistake. And the best way of fixing that mistake is to go and get a legitimate top-end receiver to go with a guy like Traylon Burks rather than hoping that he takes this you know, giant leap forward in year two. Hopkins can seriously move the needle for this team and transform them immediately back into contenders within that division and, you know, whoever wins that division is going to be an underdog once they get to the playoffs, simply given the nature of the other teams in the AFC. But, you know, all you got to do is get there. And then then it's just a case of stringing together the right sequence of games. Hopkins' fantasy value may have taken a little bit of a hit going to a lower-volume Titans offense, but, you know, still a very valuable player. And you can keep an eye on DraftKings launching their largest best ball tournament in DraftKings history, you're going to go after New Hopkins in best ball. Right now, you can enter DraftKings best ball tournament for a shot at over $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes. Make your entry into the draft today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the NFL season without having to worry about managing your roster, waiver wires, or anything else. To start playing best ball, you download the DraftKings app using the code PFF. Enter the DraftKings best ball millionaire contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points for all your top scorers. No ads, no drops, no trades. And no, I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points at the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament only on DraftKings with the code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued as 10, 10 DK dollars. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. Ends. August 9th, 2023. Uh, I want to discuss this from a New England Patriots perspective really quick, Sam, because they were the other finalist here. And look, I, I, I truly believe football is a game 
where it's it's different from other sports where the superstar player that is not a quarterback, the non-quarterback superstar makes far less of an impact than, say, a superstar in another sport, right? In, in my sport, baseball, the, you get a star hitter. He's one-ninth of the lineup. As a you know, in basketball, it's it's one fifth of the starting lineup, hockey, whatever it might be. So the star non-quarterback in football doesn't completely change the game, maybe like it does in other like he does in other sports. Except maybe wide receiver. I think receiver might be the one position where there is such a yeah, a force multiplier effect. We we talk a lot about the the trickle down of having a wide receiver one and what happens to two, three, and four. It puts pressure on the defense. It the pass game is what wins in the NFL, and the receiver, the top six to eight receivers have a massive impact on a team. And I think for the New England Patriots, who just look like a good team in a great division, they look like a good team in a great division. This could, honestly could be the difference between going eight and nine. And ten and seven, or maybe eleven wins. I, I, is, is am I overstating the impact of what DeAndre Hopkins would have done for the Patriots, who are competing with Aaron Rodgers' Jets, Josh Allen's Bills, and Tua's Dolphins, who were a playoff team last year? Yeah, it, it's funny. In I think that New, uh, that DeAndre Hopkins makes less of an impact for the Patriots than he will for the Titans, um, because I think the receiving cores are different he's also but i think he would have made a big difference like it, it in this world of like the afc remains an arms race i mean this started last offseason it's continuing this offseason everybody in the afc just keeps adding 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 and getting better and better and better and the patriots need to keep pace with that like that's the reality of this thing they made one of the biggest moves in the offseason albeit on the coaching side of things i think bill o'brien coming in and upgrading just the mess that was there last season has the potential to be as big as any move that's been made in you know the AFC sort of playoff picture. Um, but the wide receiver core is still not what it could and maybe should be. But that being said, DeAndre Hopkins at this point in his career is a receiver that is of a similar, albeit significantly better style than most of the receivers already on the roster. So you know, I mentioned that I think his value is enhanced if you already have a kind of proven vertical threat that scares defenses. The Patriots don't really have that at the moment. Tyquan Thornton is presumably going to be that guy, or they want him to be that guy, but as yet, it's kind of an unproven commodity. So um, they just need to find, they either need to find that guy first, or Thornton takes the step forward. Or DeAndre Hopkins is just kind of incrementally improving the likes of Devontae Parker, of Juju Smith-Schuster, that kind of thing. Now, he's a lot better than those guys, don't get me wrong, but I think that effect is a smaller one than the potential force multiplier it can have on that Tennessee offense where things are in place for him to have a much bigger effect across the board. Yeah, I mean, I I agree that like in isolation, DeAndre Hopkins is such a bigger upgrade than anyone the Titans have, opposite you know Traylon Burks. But I'm saying what what that could have done for New England's offense. I I start my analysis, and I don't think I'm crazy. I start by looking at the quarterback and looking at the pass catchers, right? I mean, I don't think, and, and I look at the DBs. Like I don't I don't think that's a crazy way to just look at a team's strength and what they're capable of, and, and what their ceiling is, right? New England's ceiling. If you add DeAndre Hopkins and again push everybody down 
a little bit. And Devontae Parker, who already doesn't separate well, uh, doesn't have to. He becomes a throw-it-up guy. Hey, who's going to cover Devontae Parker and, and, uh, and DeAndre Hopkins on the same play? Kendrick Bourne is a good, solid number three. Juju Smith-Schuster is a is like a low two, high three type of receiver, and he gets to play that role in that offense. They added Mike Kosicki and Hunter Henry. That is the playbook when you have a first contract quarterback, when you don't have to pay your quarterback, when you're in year three of Mac Jones. The playbook is load up at pass catcher, and this was their opportunity to load up, and this was their chance. When they like, if they go into Buffalo and they have DeAndre Hopkins, I'm thinking, okay, maybe they have the firepower here. Maybe they can do it. But now, it's just it's just a much harder situation, I think, to beat Buffalo, to beat the Jets, to beat the Dolphins, and to compete with them offensively. Yeah, the Patriots have a good defense. They were they were excellent down the stretch last year, but they still haven't stopped Josh Allen in about three years. They still haven't t- stopped those high end offenses. They haven't beaten. The Dolphins, DeAndre Hopkins would have made the Patriots the a competitive team in the loaded AFC East. Where right now, unless they have a whole bunch of breaks go their way, or Mac Jones because you know becomes a top eight quarterback, I think they're I think they just don't have much of a shot given everybody else in that division. Are you a little bit disappointed that Hopkins didn't sort of stick true to his word and take less money to go chase a ring? Like, how how realistic is that as, as an expectation? That Because everybody always kind of talks about that, right? That he's made his money. In fact, for Hopkins, he kind of made more than his money if you say that he, you know, they, they that contract initially was out of place. It was sort of artificially more than the marketplace for receivers. So you can argue that, look, he's ahead in this game of maximize the money you can get. Now you have a rare opportunity of, I've made my money, I'm set, I've, I've had all the big deals, I haven't had, I haven't come close to a ring, right? What's the, has he won one playoff game, something like that? He's never made it past the divisional round. Um, so go to Buffalo, go to Kansas City. Like, yeah, take whatever it takes. Like if it takes, if they, offer, if they have three million in cap space and that's what they have available to you, okay, what difference does that make to you? You've already made an absolute ton. Like is that as a person sitting here with zero millions, is that an unreasonable expectation for NFL players to effectively back the owner on this side of things and say, oh, yeah, you get yourself a, a Pro Bowl talent for peanuts? Or are you saying, well, look, sometimes that's what it's going to take. If you actually want that ring, you're going to have to give something up in order to have the best possible chance of, of getting it. I, I don't know, man. I, I'm not going to tell people what to do with their uh, financial opportunities, but we, we talked about this a little bit when when Dak was um, negotiating his contract with the Cowboys and Lamar Jackson with the Ravens. Everybody has different goals. I think Dak wanted uh, flexibility. He wanted to get paid for three or four years and then have the flexibility to hit free agency. We've seen Kirk Cousins maximize every potential free agent window. We saw Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes say, nope, we care about legacy and team and flexibility, and we want the 10-year deal where we're going to make our money, we're going to be fine. The difference between 500 million and 700 million might not, I might not care that much. I'll make it elsewhere, but I want the team to have flexibility. So Hopkins said, Hey, look, I'm, my, my career, I, I don't have that many years left, right? So I'm going to maximize what I have financially. And, um, well, for you and I, it's like, well, when you already have 100 million in the bank, what's the difference between three and, you know, 30? Maybe it's a lot. Who knows what they're trying to do? So I'm not going to make that call. Um, 
I think as fans, we think about rings maybe more than players do sometimes, though. You know, like I think as but I think fans he... and analysts, we think that that's the most important. Everybody just wants a ring. And it's like, man, I can go make the average human. If it's like I can make 30 million or I can make four, you sure. know, over the uh, say eight over the next two years or I can make 30. Most people are going to take 30 no matter what they have in the bank. So I don't blame Hopkins for going that route, even though the, the football side of it was kind of anticlimactic where it's like you're going to the Titans. You know, they might not even win the AFC South. What are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, he didn't, I think, specifically bring up the the desire to chase rings, but when he, I think he initially sort of gave a list of teams, you know, like the Russell Wilson thing, like here are the, the teams. The best quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, here are the teams that I would be interested in playing for, and it was a list of, yeah. like, AFC contenders with elite quarterbacks. It's like, okay, that, that kind of suggests ring chasing. Now, maybe it wasn't. Maybe he just wanted a guy that he knew was capable of throwing the football, um, at which point you can still question the downturn from – you know, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, uh, well, Burrow was never in that, but Allen, Patrick Mahomes to Ryan Tannehill on the Titans and a potential Will Levis succession down the line. But the but the other point, like, if it was genuinely about, look, I want I want some kind of playoff success. I haven't had that yet. Uh, the man's made $111 million in his career so far. Now, again, I haven't made any million. So who the hell am I to tell him how yes. many millions is the correct amount of millions for a guy of his talents to be chasing? I'm just saying that from my perspective, and remember, I am very familiar with thousands and very familiar with billions. I have zero familiarity with millions. It's not a, not a world I've inhabited very often, um, or in fact, ever. But to me, there's not much difference between 111 million career earning and 140 potential million career earning whereas there's a lot of difference between i have had a career in the nfl that has never made it past the divisional round of the playoffs and i've had a career in the nfl that ended up in a championship victory you know that's that's a seismic difference but the difference in you know 10 million 20 million eh, i've already got a lot of millions yeah that's where i, I do think again the players goals you know if, if if hopkins was trying to be like hey i need to solidify my my hall of fame case you know he's he's been he's been right up there with Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, whoever else you want to put up in that top five during his era. Um, obviously, that top five has changed. But uh, if you say, look, he was clearly a top three to five receiver for over ten years, and then he got his Super Bowl on right. the, that helps the Hall of Fame case, um, especially as as we have twenty or thirty receivers over the next ten to fifteen years that are going to have great numbers and they're all going to look Hall of Fame worthy and you want to separate yourself. Like he could separate himself maybe from Julio Jones, who never got that ring and say, hey, I got that ring. You know, we were both top three receivers, but I got that ring. Or even just, you know, the personal validation of the championship. I mean, this is theoretically why we're all doing this. And some players go their entire careers and never get a shot, never get close to that game. And so far, Hopkins has been one of those guys, right? He's never really sniff that opportunity i mean a guy like barry sanders you know one of the greatest players to ever play the game never got never made it right never even made it to the game let alone got to the game lost you know missed their opportunity never even made it to the game hopkins is in that boat right now and the time like the time is running out so who knows maybe he doesn't care maybe he's only interested in the money and blah, blah, blah and you know having success on the field but like theoretically Everybody's doing this for that Lombardi trophy, for that ring. And time is running out and opportunities are running out for you to actually achieve that. I, I don't know. Like, again, who knows if he even cares about that. But if he does, I think some of these sort of deals that players take towards the end of their career, like they are actually going to need to give up some money in order to make that happen.
Sam, I know you've heard because you had to say this when I was gone, but it's smooth sack summer. Mm. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're you're escaped from pubes to bum. Mm-hmm. Did you did you hit that line? Did you get that well oh, while yeah. I was gone? Not a problem. That yeah. wasn't an issue. Where I ran into issues was, I think, reading call to action out loud like Ron Burgundy. No, no. That's why you're the backup. But that's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into Smooth Sack Summer by going to manscapes.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code PFF. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 it has everything you need to prepare for that summer bod. They have built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Their lawnmower, lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, and it gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is also waterproof? Beach, lake, shower, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. It's the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. So you get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. It's smooth sex summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, man, we've got uh, Joe Mixon in the uh, – since since I've been gone, I'm, I'm, I still have some catching up to do. Did you and Brad discuss the state of the running back market? And I know he wrote an article on it a few weeks back, but Joe Mixon takes a pay cut. The three remaining franchise tag, uh, franchise tag players are all running backs, haven't signed long-term deals. Uh, Dalvin Cook, Cud, and still out there, so – uh, what what did you guys cover when it comes to the running back position and your reaction to Joe Mixon essentially taking a two-year pay cut to stay the starting running back for the Cincinnati Bengals? Yeah, which is, I mean, in a way, it's just kind of routine um, off-season kind of thing that happens, right? Players recut, restructure all the time, take those pay cuts, remain starters. And in Joe Mixon's case in particular, like that felt like a, a kind of potential parting of the ways. What is fascinating to me for that particular one is our, our buddy Paul Daner at the, uh, the Athletic, right, um, tweeted out when he was breaking this news, this is the first time the Bengals have ever restructured a contract in this way. Like, Cincinnati is, Brad speaks about this a lot of the time, like they have an awful lot of things that they don't do from a contract structure point of view, from a payment structure point of view, and this is one of them, apparently. They, they don't restructure contracts. That's not a thing that they do, and they have. They've broken that rule now to restructure um, Mixon's contract and keep him around, and, man, we're in this world. We've been pushing this, I guess, for a long time, that, look, the running back position should be devalued relative to where it was in the past, and the NFL clearly is catching up with that right now. Like, when you look at 
all these moves that are being made, Mixon inevitably being on the chopping block, hence the restructure, Dalvin Cook being gotten rid of because of his contract, Zeke Elliott, as soon as they could realistically get out from that deal, they did. Um, This was brought up, I think, I forget who brought this up recently, but the running back franchise tag number is lower than it used to be. Like in 2015, it was a, a higher figure to franchise tag that running back, whereas every other position, it's gone the other way. You know, the, the, the bigger the contracts, the year-on-year inflation, that average of the top five guys of the position number goes up. It's gone down for running backs because people are paying running backs less. And now you have these three running backs on the franchise tag, and I think clearly the move for each case is to let them play out the tag and then walk like not give them the long-term deal the giant contract extension that they're looking for it is to pay running backs throughout their rookie deals franchise tag them if they're really good and you can't get anything modest done and then move on just bite the bullet and say all right Saquon you're great you're an amazing talent phenomenal athlete it's been fun but we're gonna go draft the guy in the second round and you know do it for a fraction of whatever it is you're looking for for that next deal. Good luck in the future. Like I, I, I think that's clearly the move now. Yeah, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard all have been franchised. They're the only players that do not have a long-term deal in place by today's 4 p.m. Eastern deadline. And uh, you know, there's been threats of of sitting out. So you know, it does sound it does sound good on paper, right? When you when you say just franchise them and, and move on, I think that's the on paper move. But will they? actually uh call that bluff but remember where the where they really got screwed in you know recent cbas is there's now much stiffer penalties for holding out than there used to be like the what they've actually done specifically to running backs I and mean, god i i feel so bad for running backs because this position is just getting hosed from every possible angle and there's no fix to it that doesn't like impact a bunch of other positions that aren't getting screwed in the same way, right? So running backs are in this world now where we're actually incentivizing the franchise tag for them because the franchise tag number is going down. Um, they're still talented players, so but you don't want to give them a long-term contract. So the NFL teams are actually being incentivized right now to slap the franchise tag on all these running backs and make them play out one last year at guaranteed relatively low sums of money. Um, And in the past, that would be a risk because players don't like the franchise tag. You can threaten to hold out. Now you can't really hold out because the fines for non-excused absences when it gets to, like, real football are so astronomical that unless you do end up getting something done, it's not worth your time to hold out. You lose all the money so quickly. So... They've basically removed the leverage. Josh Jacobs, I think, is the one that's made the most noise about, I'm going to hold out. He would be the first, I think, real significant holdout of, like, any substance since that change came in and they started really ramping up the fines for holdouts. So NFL running backs right now are just getting screwed. Like, if you don't already have one of those big deals, we may have seen the last, like, of those monster contracts handed out until the game fundamentally shifts back in any way, shape, or form. But like, if you're a new wave of running back, I don't know if anybody is going to be getting one of those giant contracts again. Yeah, I mean, I, a couple things at play here, not to rehash the entire running back argument, but it's a combination of things, right? It's the it, teams have found that having two running backs is better than just having one bell cow. 
We know that they're fragile just from a from an injury standpoint. They take an absolute beating. So even if even though Christian McCaffrey is probably, I, I think he's the most valuable using WAR, most valuable running back over the last three or four years. Even that's not at the same level that it could be because he missed some time as well. It, it's it's really tough to just stay durable. We know that their production is dependent on other positions. So there's a whole slew of things. And then you mentioned the CBA, Sam. I don't want to dive too far into that, but I'll just say this. The Players Association, over the last 10 years or so, and, and I'm not criticizing them for this, I'm just stating facts, they have spent most of their time worrying about player safety and pushing for player safety, less practice time. Uh, that has been their focus, right? And that's and that makes sense, right? I mean, they're, we're talking about players who want to make sure that when they're in their 40s and 50s and 60s, they're not living like for, uh, former NFL players are right now, making sure the quality of life is good. However, I believe they they have to they've been leaving money on the table. Uh, you know, salaries in cap could go up even higher if they, if they pushed it. Uh, franchise tags, it, little stuff like we've talked about, like edge defenders getting tagged as linebackers. Like the the NFL still has these uh, loopholes to to keep salaries lower than they than they should be. But the players have had not been able to fight for. The financial aspect as much they've had to fight for the quality of life and uh you know taking fewer headshots and all these different things um so i just wanted to make that point and again the running back value we just see the the interchangeability of uh the backup many many times and like the fact that josh jacobs made he was probably the best running back in the nfl last year but we don't see the same guy be the best running back in the NFL year over year. That tends to fluctuate either because of injury or just because of the nature of the position. So all of that stuff is added up and NFL teams are just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay you just to do it. Right. Remember like when Todd Gurley got re-signed, the Rams were like, eh, we know it's probably not the best move, but he's a good locker room guy. We want to do well by him. So like the human element used to come in a little bit more where you wanted to keep them together, but there hasn't been a long-term contract that has not gotten burnt over the last five or six years after just a history of, you know, not good success on long-term deals. To put some numbers to the holdout problem, um, according to over the cap for right now, if you don't show up to mandatory mini camps, you can be fined 16 and a half grand for the first day, 33 grand for the second day, 50 grand for the third day. And then once you get to training camps, that becomes 50 grand a day. So you, if you don't show up to mini camp and training camp, like you haven't even made it to, to like the regular season or the end of preseason, you're going to be out the guts of a million dollars as a player. And if you're like the, the number they're playing on for this franchise tag is a little over 10 million. So 10% of your money is gone before you even make it to the regular season, right? And then like it's just become so financially onerous to hold out anymore that you're not seeing that happen, which is why there's been this kind of move to pivot to this hold in where you show up and then develop your mysterious calf injury or whatever it is, right? Something that I, I can't possibly play. I got I got something I'm dealing with, right? So that maybe that happens and that's how they deal with it. But the point being, running backs are now in this world where they're getting slapped on the franchise tag, which by the way, I think is a bigger issue for running backs than any other position because you're getting your ass kicked as a running back. Like, whatever about a quarterback playing a year on a franchise tag, number one, it's four times the money. Number two, generally speaking, quarterbacks are an awful lot less likely to get 
murdered during the course of the season than a running back. Um, so running backs are being forced to play on this franchise tag, which is a lot riskier for them in terms of they might get hurt and not make it to the next contract. And there's nothing they can do about it because the fines they rack up for holding out are so huge. So they're just screwed. Like, the only answer at this point, if you want more than the $10 million franchise tag, is to basically go to the team, cap in hand, and say, like, what is the highest figure you're willing to go to? Because that's, that's all I can do. Like, Saquon is apparently looking for a sort of legitimate, old-school-looking running back contract, and I just can't see that happening. But the Austin Eckler-type deals, like, those are the contracts that NFL teams are looking to hand out right now. So... These guys have to sort of look at that deal and say, all right, what is the most, like, what is the Austin Eckler deal adjusted for inflation and adjusted for being Saquon Barkley? What does that look like? Because that's, that's my realistic aiming point here. Otherwise, sad as it is for these guys, the correct move for NFL teams is to just play them out the front. Like, for the Giants, the better move for them than to give Saquon the deal he's looking for is to play him on the tag and actually tag him again than it is to pay him the contract he's looking for. Like, that's the world they're in, is two franchise tags is actually a better deal for them than giving them a, a giant Zeke Elliott type of contract. Or one tag, move on, draft a guy in the, in the second round, and just rinse and repeat. It is a brutal landscape to be a running back in today's NFL. And you're basically running out of teams that are going to say, ah, I don't care what the data says. I'll just, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go old school. I'll give you that running back contract. You're just running out of, uh, Jerry Jones is still there, but even he <laughs> understands when he makes moves like, oh, Zeke touches the ball more than Jalen Ramsey. I'm going to draft Zeke at four instead of Jalen Ramsey. And then I'm going to double down and pay Zeke this huge contract. Like you're running out of people that are willing to do that. Um, one other way I just want to paint this picture with Saquon Barkley, using PFF War, which is basically a combination of uh, grading and performance and how often you do it. So the, the more you're on the field playing well, the more valuable you are. Saquon Barkley's ranks in PFF War, in his rookie year, he was second among all running backs. Then he drops to 15th in 2019. But then he's then he gets banged up and he's injured and less productive in year three he's 77th out of 80 qualifiers then he's 49th out of 80 qualifiers and then last year he's back up to fourth so you can kind of see like at his ceiling he's a top five most valuable running back and what he brings as a runner and as a receiver but he's only done that two out of five years in his career and those are probably the easiest five years to project a running back because injuries don't get were uh, better they get worse as you get older it, is there another position in sport sam that is like this where like the every other position right we always talk about offensive line development they get better years three four and five uh receiver sometimes takes a little bit to hit the ground running and then they might figure it out uh evan ingram just re-signed with the jags we'll talk about him in a minute tight end is a position that's that sometimes takes two or three years to get used to it running back is the complete opposite yeah. Where you're not like you're not learning new things and you become a veteran and you become better by year five or six. All you're doing is becoming less athletic, probably, and it's hurting you more than it's helping you. Is there any other position in sports where it's better to have a guy in years, you know, one through five than it is beyond that? No, probably not. Like that's the other thing is running back is at their best, arguably from day one. Like rookie year, what you lose in terms of 
does he know the entire system? Like, where is he in the playbook, the understanding, et cetera, you gain? And he's at his most athletically gifted at this point. It's probably only getting more – it's only getting worse in that area after the attritional beatdown of his rookie year. So, like, years one and two are the most effective years for a running back, and then you get them at the end of that contract, and it's probably time to start looking in a new direction anyway. Yeah, so tough spot for the for the running backs. I think we all agree there. Um, anything else on uh, on running backs before we move to Evan Ingram? No, I think the running back thing is done. I just wanted to loop back around to the uh, the Titans thing. Our, our former PFF colleague Ari Marov tweeted this uh, this stat from uh, Get Up ESPN this morning that Mike Vrabel had had before they signed New Hopkins. Mike Vrabel owned the most uh, touchdown receptions currently connected to the Titans before New Hopkins. So any of the receivers on the roster, all of them uh, individually had fewer than the 12 career touchdowns. 12, by the way, pretty impressive, that Mike Vrabel that. had in his NFL career. Mike Vrabel, remember, for those you know people that are listening that are only like 18, was an outside linebacker, an edge rusher, not a you know pass catcher by trade. Uh, he he was man. a red zone, tight red zone, tight end. Yeah. 12 touchdowns is, is a lot more than I would have thought he had, by the way. <laughs> like, that's a significant number. That's not... Like, On, like, 13 catches, maybe? Like, how many other how many catches did he have? Yeah, probably 12. He was awesome. It's always fascinating to me, like, when, when Belichick used to put linebackers at tight end and everything. Like, were they... Why? You know, like, was... Was Vrabel that much better than the other tight ends that they had? You know, because it's really difficult for that. It's cool to have versatile players, but the chances that your linebacker is better than your second, third, and fourth tight ends right. at catching passes in the red zone is slim. But if you do find that guy, it is cool because, you know, the defense maybe forgets about those guys a little bit more. Vrabel, I mean, JJ, and I don't know, did Vrabel even play tight end like in high school and college or whatever? Because like JJ Watt started off college as a tight end. So that kind of made yeah. sense that JJ Watt in addition to being a freak show of a pass rusher, like if you made a moonlight as a tight end in the red zone, was still good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't forget that in the course of a four-year college career. That made sense. I don't know if Rabel even played pass catcher. Like, I don't know how far back you have to go to get pass catching Rabel. I think he was just a defensive end in college. The usual pass rusher turned 3-4 outside backer. But uh, great stat by Ari there. So, uh, 14, according to Pro Football Reference, uh, 16 career targets, uh, 12 career catches, 12 touchdowns. See, I would have thrown the ball to him a little bit more. I've, b people give Belichick all this credit as the best coach of all time, but he only threw that guy 16 passes. He didn't even do it all the time. Three of them were in Kansas City at the end. Ah. See, I would have, you should have thrown to Vrabel more. You would have had more touchdowns. That's what I would have That's done. That's how you do it. All right, Evan Ingram signs a multi-year deal. He was a franchise tag player for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's going to sign a three-year deal up in the $40 million range. Evan Ingram was one of the more productive tight ends. I know we might overuse half-year splits and everything, but as Trevor Lawrence, when you go back and you split Trevor Lawrence a season and you say around week 9 or 10, Trevor Lawrence was you know the second, third best quarterback in the NFL from a grading standpoint, that coincided with Evan Ingram being the having the fourth most receiving yards since week 10 third most receptions evan ingram uh, i was gonna say right behind travis kelsey but like every stat is travis kelsey in a different stratosphere and then the next tight end 
Uh, but Travis Kelsey had like 400 something yards as a split outside wide receiver. Evan Ingram was second at about 150. But Ingram was a good uh, move him around, mismatch type of tight end for the Jags and a good solid weapon. And another guy that was, he had some decent seasons with the Giants, nothing great, but he's coming off his best, most productive season with Jacksonville. And they lock him up at tight end for, uh, for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised they made this move. Um, like, obviously, you're right. Evan Ingram, once he got to Jacksonville, I think was a, a different player, it was certainly a more effective player, and theoretically is a great weapon for them to have to grow with Trevor Lawrence to improve to blah, blah, blah. Um, on the other hand, tight end is a little bit like running back in terms of it's still a lot of value on the franchise tag. Like, it's a good low number for the position. Uh, and Evan Engram, given his career to that point, felt like a perfect candidate to let's just get a little bit more proof that this guy is going to be for real. Now, it's always a little bit difficult to sort of, well, how much evidence do you need to reinforce whatever prior you had? And remember, this is a former first-round pick, a guy that ran a 4'4", 6'3", you know, he's big he's fast incredibly fast in fact and had first round sort of pedigree and his career never quite took off the way they were expecting it to in new york but if you start to see that again do you immediately say well there he is that's the first round talent we don't need more proof we're done given his career to that point i would want to see a little bit more than you know just what we saw last season in jacksonville to be sure that he's going to be the guy going forward, and I would want him to play out that franchise tag and then deal with the contract next offseason, even knowing that the price may go up in doing that, right? Knowing that you might have increased the number by letting him show that he's going to be that guy. I think the risk-reward there is better to just give him this one-year deal. Now, maybe Jacksonville wanted the camp flexibility or whatever, or maybe they simply have determined that he is that guy already and they don't need that. Um but I, and I've, that's been a theme, I think, generally this offseason is I would be a little more kind of keen to use the benefits of the franchise tag than NFL teams seem to be. The, the approach so far, or the approach at the moment, generally seems to be independent of running backs. We use the tag to kind of buy ourselves more room, but actually the goal here is to get a long-term deal done with all these guys. So Daniel Jones... Evan Ingram, like the the goal here is to get a contract done so we're not stuck with this giant sum of money attached to the salary cap this year. The franchise tag is simply a tool to extend the negotiating period. I would be a little bit more keen to use the tag as the tag and just let that be the thing. I'm with you when I think I see the value of the elite tight ends versus, say, the, the next tier of tight ends. We're in a I think we're in a world in the NFL where there are some very clear, using the term force multiplier again, but like some very clear elite force multiplier type of tight ends. Travis Kelsey, of course, the obvious one, but even uh, George George Kittle when he is healthy. Uh, Mark Andrews, I think we've we've learned more about Mark Andrews as he has been playing with Tyler Huntley and Josh Johnson, and he has just become completely quarterback proof and still produced even when Lamar Jackson has been hurt. There's only a handful of those guys. And when you look at th those three in particular, Travis Kelsey, uh, oversimplifying here, but he's on the he's in the middle of a four-year contract that's about 14 plus million per year. You know, you know, the 
the money's being moved around a lot, but say 14 million. Mark Andrews, four years, four, 14 million. Kittle, five years, 15 million. These elite tight ends are averaging about 14, 15 million APY. And then you get this next, even Dallas Goddard, you might be able to throw up in that bucket. He's four years, 14. The next tier of, of tight ends, the Hunter Henry types, maybe Dawson Knox, David Njoku, Evan Ingram. Those guys are, I think it's fair to say that that group is not anything close to what a Kelsey and Andrews or a Kittle brings to their offense, right? The Kittle, Andrews, and uh, Kelsey, I think, could be the, the number one target for their respective teams. They can be 10 target type of players that just dominate games. But the next tier of tight ends I just mentioned, again, Dawson Knox, Evan Ingram, David Njoku, Hunter Henry, those guys are all in that multi-year 12 to $13 million range. And the elites are at 14 to $15 million. Like It's a small margin between the elite game-changing tight ends and the guys who are just you know good, solid starters. I think that's what Evan Ingram is. So that's where, you know, it gives me some pause, but it's just, I'm just describing what the market is right now. You know, the difference between uh, the top four tight ends, I think are four or five tight ends are extremely valuable. Tight ends six through 12 or whatever, wherever that cutoff is. They're good, they're solid, and they might be getting a little bit more than they should compared to the elite guys above them. Yeah. Um, For what they bring to the table, right? I mean, Evan Ingram's not going to go take over a game. Even though all the stats that I cited, he was good down the stretch. He's not a take-over-the-game type of guy like those top five or six guys. Right, but I do think that theoretically, you can see why Jacksonville did it if they do believe in him. Like that that yeah. pace, the speed, the fact that the entire offense theoretically now is sort of growing together and ascending, Trevor Lawrence being what he is, what that connection was able to do last season, the addition of Calvin Ridley. Like, I like what this offense is building. I'm just not, I'm just a little bit surprised that they were willing to do that deal already. So when you look at the Jags in, the, uh, in their depth chart, we know Calvin Ridley's coming back. So we already knew that uh, Ingram was going to be a part. Um, I wonder how much, Sam, I don't know if, did Doug Peterson mention this when he was on the show? Going into free agency, they were hoping to kind of re-sign their own, and yeah, you know, Juwan Taylor was was their biggest free agent at right tackle, and they they didn't they were unable to retain him. How much of this is just the Jags trying to not let good players walk anymore? the The premium might just be he's a good solid player. Let's just keep him in Jacksonville. We can't keep living this world where our best players walk. We need to keep some kind of nucleus together, even. If you run all the numbers and it's like a bit of an overpay for for Ingram, yeah, I mean, there's probably something to that. I don't remember exactly whether we got to that with uh, with Doug Peterson in that interview at the combine, but it makes sense. Like at some point, if you're trying to make the transition between sort of bottom dwelling um, team and division front runner, you have to change the dynamic of. It's not the same as like soccer, where you have sort of selling teams and buying teams, and if you actually want to make the difference between one spot of the table and the next you have to stop selling those guys and eventually keep them around long enough to do you any favors but like we saw what happened when Jacksonville went on that spending spree a couple of years ago and seemed to overpay for every single position and the logic being like yeah you may be in Florida with no income tax and all that kind of stuff but you're Jacksonville like you have to pay these guys a premium in order to get them to come to you versus these other teams that are immediate contenders right away Maybe they, they've got to kind of keep those guys around. That's the next step. And then 
like the the third phase when they're actually legitimate contenders again if that's going to happen like if they win this division if Trevor Lawrence stays where he is and looks like one of the top elite quarterbacks now you actually become a destination and you're a, a place uh, players do want to come to and might actually take a million or two less money because you're in Florida and you've got the no income tax and you've got Trevor Lawrence and you're a contender and, and all those kinds of things so maybe it is that middle step between where they were and where they want to go yeah, so Evan Ingram back in Jacksonville to go with Calvin Ridley coming off of his one-year suspension, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, and his $18 million a year. It's a decent group of playmakers. It's going to look better, of course, if Trevor Lawrence continues his ascent to uh, to one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But, um, yeah, I think there's definitely something to uh, just keeping players together in Jacksonville right now. What else do we have to cover? Any other news? Oh, uh, the Quinn and Williams deal. Did you guys talk – did you guys go full victory lap for Brad and how he, he hit the numbers on that? No, it came in after our uh, podcast with Brad. So, yeah, on NFL Network, Brad got his victory lap. But Brad, when when was that prediction? But, like, weeks and weeks Months ago. Months ago. March, Months April. Ago, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a while back. Start of the, se- uh, the offseason. Brad essentially nailed the Quinn and Williams contract details, like, to, like almost exactly, like, down to the, the down to decimals. Um to what that deal was going to look like uh the deal that everybody expected to make to, to happen in terms of you know a big extension for Quinn and Williams he was the next guy on that interior defensive lineman to kind of tick off and get that deal done um you know good move I think for both sides like Quinn and Williams showed last season he'd reached that level of being able to take over individual games the way all of those guys have Jeffrey Simmons did that literally game one back in the NFL uh, Dexter Lawrence did it in the playoffs last season. Chris Jones has done it. Aaron Donald has done it. All these dominant interior guys have got at least one game where they've shown that they can just absolutely wreck shop and change the outcome. Williams did that last season. And, you know, the Jets have designs now on, on making some noise this year. Yeah, I just I tweeted out because I'm I'm so I'm I'm just so interested in that 2019 interior defensive line draft class. Uh, remember, it was Quinnen Williams who was first off the board at third, uh, three overall to the Jets. Ed Oliver goes, I think, what, seven or eight to the Bills. You had uh, Christian Wilkins in a bit of a surprise going to the Dolphins. I believe it was 13th. Then Dexter Lawrence to the Gi- Giants was next off the board. And then Jeffrey Simmons goes in the 20s because he was coming off of a knee injury. Um, those top five guys, I think it's only Wilkins, right, that has not gotten – the long-term deal yet. We talked about Ed Oliver's deal a little bit uh, earlier this offseason, but I tweeted out the grades from that group, and it, you know, career grades, Dexter Lawrence is number one, pushing 90. Um, then it's Quinnen Williams, number two, Jeffrey Simmons, number three, Christian Wilkins, number four, and they're pretty good ways above Ed Oliver, who's fifth. Um, but even just over the last two years, we see Quinnen Williams last year in particular have a really good grade. Ed Oliver has come back closer to the group. It's just a fascinating... Uh, five defensive linemen, uh, four of which have been excellent. Ed Oliver has been better over the last couple of years. But then it's like the last good group of defensive tackles that we've seen come into the NFL in quite a while. And so they're all getting paid. And um, it's fun. I like to compare them, but they all do different things, right? Like Dexter Lawrence has been a true nose tackle. Christian Wilkins has moved around a little bit more. Jeffrey Simmons has been more of a nose tackle. Some guys play more against the run. Some guys rush the passer more. But yeah, Quinnen Williams in particular... I, I think it – I expected him to be the best for how uh, how much he dominated at Bama, and I think we're starting to see what his potential really is. Like you mentioned, the ability to take over games, 
as a pass blocker, as a run defender, as a pass rusher, and as a run defender. Um, just an interesting group of guys, and uh, Williams was was outstanding last year for the Jets. He, we also speculated about this at the time. Um, his career at Alabama was was unusual or sort of noteworthy in that it took him a while, and then once he finally sort of settled and was was established, and he had one of the best seasons we'd ever seen at the college level. It's kind of been the the way that his NFL career has progressed as well, right? It's been like a slow burn. But once it's once the flame is caught, he's just gone. He's on fire and he's dominating. Like if that if that's the way it's going to continue, then you know Quinn and Williams has arrived much the way we're talking about Trevor Lawrence, et cetera. Like that if that's the player he's going to be, then it was worth the sort of slow start relative to a couple of these other guys. But now he's absolutely crushing it. Yeah, career high pass rush grade of eighty four point one last year. He's always been a really good run defender other than a little bit of a blip in 2021 for the Jets. So um, the last good class of defensive tackles, Sam, Quinn and Williams getting paid. Yeah. And we'll see what happens with Christian Wilkins. I think I think Wilkins is the, um, the smallest name out of that group of five, but maybe one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Uh, highest run defense grade out of that, uh, out of those five players, not as good rushing the passer. Interested to see what Christian Wilkins gets. Um, if the Dolphins end up re-signing him. And to see what happens this year with him in a Vic Fangio defense. Like, could be in line for his best year uh, off the back of, I think, what was his best year last year. So, like, I'd probably heading in the right direction as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any other NFL news that we've missed? That was a nice, you know, fun little uh, three or four days there. Mm. No, I think we're on to uh, consultant GM time. Palazzolo oh. consultant GM. We've missed that for Great. a few weeks. It was supposed to be every Monday, but you haven't been here every Monday. So, we and you've been gone from the location. So, we're not. There's I almost no podium. forgot about that. Let me get set up here. Yeah, there's no podium, but we can fire up uh, their Palazzolo in front of his war room, and hopefully that will buy you enough time to do whatever you got to do on the back end of your Zoom to put up your uh, your little background. Ready. Perfect. All right. So this first email has come in from John. There's, there's no surname attached to this, uh, and I don't want to guess what it could be from that email. Hello. First time, long time. My question for Steve, the consultant GM. You've proposed the idea of gutting the scouting department in favor of using the aggregate big board, or even better, using the model. Uh, say the team has followed through on this, keeping just a few people to sift through the red flags and drafting via the model. What are you now recommending that my billionaire money goes towards? Is it sports science, better facilities, coaching salaries, creating an AI that's just for football? Uh, where do you think the organization should allocate that non-cap payroll to gain an edge over the other 31 teams? Another side of the question, what are the pitfalls to this drastic scouting change? I feel like if you're the consultant, you need to explain both risks and benefits for any major changes you recommend. Happy to hear your answer, John. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I love that, actually. So we've got some money to save here. Um, so who am I? Am I presenting to you, the billionaire, Sam? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. All right, Mr. Billionaire. Here's what we're going to do. We're saving your money on the scouting staff. We yep. are going to deploy this as much as we can to the coaching staff. Uh, my podcast partner, Sam, and I have discussed this quite a bit, former podcast partner, because um, I'm a you know, GM now or whatever I am. So we've discussed this quite a bit, right? That is a place where the NFL is not controlling it. There's no cap, so we can get the very best coaches. I would also dabble into performance-based coaches. So I would I want to treat our coaching staff a, a little differently, right? So the average quarterback coach, his job 
is to get the quarterback ready to play football. Understand the playbook. You know, you work on some technique stuff, but it's really get the guy ready to play on Sunday. Make sure he's mentally ready, understands the game plan, all that fun stuff. I would separate uh, the uh, the coach, uh, the quarterback coach that gets the guy ready to play from the quarterback coach who's just there for performance when it comes to mechanics, when it comes to uh, you know footwork and doing the right individual drills. So I would almost separate individual work from coaching work, and I would try to find these edges across all these various positions. So uh, baseball's done this really, really well, where where pitchers are throwing harder than ever, and they're mechanically sound and they're focused on biomechanics and hitters know how to uh, hone their swing to get the exact launch angle they want there's a football equivalent to that that we can invest in it's a little bit of sports science and it's a little bit of individual coaches so we're going to put some money there we're also going to invest on the data side so if we don't have scouts uh, or as many scouts we do need to hone the model right so we do need to make sure that the inputs to the model the data is cleaned and ready to go so the the data science team we need a we need a whole lot of good data scientists who know, know how to work with big data and we're gonna we're gonna up that group invest there and make sure that the data is as good as it gets and then the scouts will do their job we'll, we'll view it as let the data select the players and the scouts can poke holes Right, and they'll add some of their evaluations, but the biggest thing is absolutely going to be understanding the red flags on players, understanding personalities and the fit. Um, so we'll get we're going to invest. You know, to recap, individual, more in, individualist, uh, individualized coaching, uh, bigger, better coaching staff, data science, and just data in general. Um, the downside to having a, a smaller scouting staff, though, is 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 the individual relationships with players. You know, there, there's still a non-computer-centric component to winning and building a team. And we have to understand personalities. We have to understand fit. And, and having fewer boots on the ground, understanding the players, talking to coaches, that, that could backfire, right? We might get some people in the building that aren't a great fit for the culture or whatever it might be. So that is the risk. Um, I do believe the data wins out over time. But the risk would be, yes, fewer uh, relational uh, relationship building i think from uh from a scouting standpoint hmm. critically though you would still have you know access to the players through the what they call those top 30 visits through the combine sure. meetings all those kinds of things it's not like we're severing all contact with these guys and never coming face to face with them and getting an indication as to what they are like from a personality standpoint um you're just cutting down on the actual sort of the, the the just constant I was there I watched that game blah 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 all that kind of stuff uh, alright this second one it's going to be a challenge reading this is some very small text uh, this one comes in from Germany so hey Sam and Steve fan of the podcast please excuse any language errors the teachings of my mostly drunken Bavarian English teachers only got me so far uh, I got a question for consultant GM Palazzolo at this Ready. point in time Kyle Shanahan is arguably the best head coach in football. His talent as a coach was already rather obvious back when he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons. In hindsight, it would have been the smartest move for the Falcons to promote Shanahan from offensive coordinator to head coach and fire Dan Quinn, even though Quinn brought them to the Super Bowl. Would you make such a move now? Or to choose uh, another more current and specific example... If the Lions make it to the playoffs and maybe even win some games, would you, GM Palazzolo, 
or our consultant GM Palazzolo, recommend the firing of head coach Dan Campbell and promote offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, who would leave your team otherwise and become a head coach somewhere else. Cheers from Munich, Constantine. Let me throw you one other example that came up uh, on a radio hit I think I was doing. If Kellen Moore unlocks um, Justin Herbert this year, if we get the best version of Justin Herbert that we all seem to think is there and the sort of conservative skew of Herbert over the last couple of years has actually ends up being proven to essentially be a coaching-driven thing. Herbert unlocks, Her, or uh, Kellen Moore unlocks Justin Herbert, who has a season that looks like Mahomes or Joe Burrow. You know, they absolutely, the offense absolutely cooks. Maybe the Chargers make the playoffs. Maybe they win a game, whatever. They, they ultimately sort of fall short of a championship. But clearly the Kellen Moore-Justin Herbert axis becomes phenomenal. Would you make that move with the Chargers and say, hey, Brandon Staley, thanks, but no thanks. We actually need to keep Kellen Moore around. Otherwise, we go back to whatever it was the previous couple of years, which was nice, but had us wanting more. Like, those would be the two examples that I think are worth bringing up. Good questions. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. So the Kyle Shanahan, Dan Quinn thing, I don't know that it's clear as day that Kyle Shanahan is would be better than Dan Quinn and that that was the obvious move. The thing I love most about Shanahan is the the baseline his offense is going to give me, regardless of what moves I make uh, from a personnel standpoint. There was uh, one of the last episodes I was on weeks ago. <laughs> someone did push back a little bit and say, how could you say Kyle Shanahan's better than Sean McVay? A lot of people push back and, in that. What's that? A lot of people push back in that. We got a lot of crap for that in the email. Uh, the email. I think I need. I, I, I want to reword that a little bit, which was, or, or like, I, I don't think Kyle Shanahan has been more successful than Sean McVay in wins and losses or whatever it might be. But I do think Kyle Shanahan has done more with less at the quarterback position, and I believe, I, I just believe Kyle Shanahan is going to give me a stronger baseline offensively. And then we'll kind of like play the game elsewhere. Um, I don't know that Kyle Shanahan is a better pure head coach or a better people manager than McVay, any of that stuff necessarily. I'm just talking like I'm going to get this strong offensive baseline and it's going to give me leeway with my quarterback decisions where I don't think you're going to get that from other people. Um, so Dan Quinn, so hindsight, I don't know that I'm definitely putting Kyle Shanahan over Dan Quinn. Let me just say that because I, I think we've seen Dan Quinn grow his game as a defensive coordinator. Mm. The scary thing about Ben Johnson taking over for Dan Campbell is it's a different job. So we've seen Kyle Shanahan make the leap, and he can at least be a head coach. Like, we've we've seen that. We've got some proof. I have no idea if Ben Johnson can do that. He might just be a good play caller. Um, I don't – it's very difficult for us uh, on the uh, best NFL podcast in the world that features an Irishman. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult for us – to have all the answers, even though we try to, because we're not in the room. I don't know Ben Johnson as a head coaching candidate, so I don't know the great answer to that. Same thing with Kellen Moore. Um, Brandon Staley, just three years ago, looked like a perfect head coaching candidate. He had a schematic advantage on defense where he seems to have the new hot defense, great understanding of it, young, energetic mind who was going to be forward-thinking from a uh, – in a, play calling standpoint from a in-game decision standpoint and that hasn't necessarily been the case for staley so would we be jumping to conclusions to say ben johnson could be that guy or kellen moore could be that guy 
Um, I think I'm more likely to say, okay, if Kellen Moore unlocks Justin Herbert, okay, that's a pretty good foundation that I can roll with yeah. going forward. So I wouldn't hate that because chances are if the Chargers have like a first-round exit or they win one game and lose, Brandon Staley may have worn out his welcome anyway, and Kellen Moore immediately becomes the best option if he truly does unlock Justin Herbert. All right. Did I answer all those? No, that's good work, uh, Mr. Consultant GM. I'm, I mean, I'm no nobody's asking me as the billionaire, but I would give you my two cents is – I kind of agree with that last summation that the the Lions would be a difficult one to to make that move. Number one, because they're very different. The sort of the theoretical strengths of both guys, like Dan Campbell, his selling point is the culture, the knee biting, right? Like that side of things, which is an important part of being a G, uh, being a, a head coach, is sort of setting that culture for the entire franchise, pointing it in the right direction. Whereas Ben Johnson, you would be hiring because of his schematic chops and the fact that he's orchestrated one of the better and most impressive offenses over the last couple of years and you want to keep that intact that I think is a difficult balance to to make for a team that is moving in the right direction if you accept the premise of Detroit still doing well the Chargers one though I think is a much more arguable case where in that scenario you're already kind of on the fence about Staley like I mean, this year there were rumors that he was on the hot seat. If they haven't materially progressed next season, like they say they make the playoffs, they still get bounced relatively quickly, you're already at the point where you're like, I don't know if this is going in the right direction. And if you pair that with Kellen Moore coming in and like turbocharging Justin Herbert and getting him to play 10 15% better than anybody else has been able to over the last few years, that to me is a very compelling argument of – we can't let this guy leave the building. Right. And the only thing stopping that from happening is this guy that we're not exactly wedded to in the first place. I think we just make that switch. Like, if we were on the fence about it, let's use this as the reason to tip us in one direction and let's make that move. So if I'm the GM in this scenario, I, I don't know that I would make the move in Detroit even knowing how much I love Ben Johnson. Um, but I would absolutely, I think, make that move with the Chargers absent some kind of like you know phenomenal turnaround in that Chargers defense and even then I'm probably still more inclined to to wed to tie myself to the guy that just transformed Justin Herbert yeah the one other two other things I'll just add to that like Dan Campbell has been the guy to take the Lions from you know terrible team to now favorite in the NFC North right he has been the head coach that has started to propel them um we haven't necessarily seen that from Brandon Staley and the Chargers. And then the Shanahan-Quinn thing with the Falcons, I think you could look at the Thomas Dimitrov era and say the fa he did a good job of building two- and three-year windows for the Falcons, but they did not sustain it from a personnel standpoint. Right. That Super Bowl team of 2016, still good in 2017. By 18, the whole offensive line fell apart. Like I don't know if Shanahan even would have done anything uh, with Matt Ryan in that offensive line that year. I don't know, but... The personnel kind of went in ebbs and flows that I think also hurt Dan Quinn in his time there in Atlanta. So sure. there was other things at play, I think, um, for those decisions. The uh, the one um, the one thing I would circle back to with the Kyle Shanahan thing, to just to clarify the things that people hated that I said at that show. <laughs> when we were making the point, or I was making the point, that Shanahan has had more sort of sustained success than McVay, my point is less about as a head coach in X's and O's. It's more of like one guy's offense has shown susceptibility that Agreed. the other guy's hasn't. 
Like, yeah. Shanahan has consistently gotten like a plus 20% out of um, whoever he's had in charge, including like Brian Hoyer, right? Brian Hoyer came in and looked like a viable quarterback in Shanahan's offense. No matter what the offensive line he's had looks like, the offensive line has outperformed expectations. Whereas when McVeigh's offensive line creaks, the whole offense collapses and doesn't sort of show signs of fixing that, right? Like if he, right now we're in a world where if you tell me that the Rams offense is not going to be at least above average, you can probably say that the Rams offense is not going to be amazing. Whereas the Rams offense with a great offensive line is as good as it gets in the NFL. Shanahan, it almost doesn't matter what the personnel looks like. He's going to add 20% to whatever that offense was before he got there. So that was my point in terms of a guy like when those types of coaches, their main selling point is the scheme, right? They're, they're the versions of Ben Johnson or, or Kellen Moore. If those guys get offensive or get head coaching gigs, it's like those coaches you're hiring on the basis of what they do to your offense. And at their peak, both offenses are amazing. But I think Shanahan's offense has shown more uh, robustness and ability to withstand problems than Sean McVay's offense has over you know the last number of years. Yeah, I think that's fair. That was I think that was the specific feedback item that somebody said when I was like, wait, that's not what I meant, or it's not what we meant. Uh, consistency, not necessarily as head coach, because you could easily look at Shanahan's record and say, oh, he had all these losing seasons. They just happen to coincide though with his backup quarterbacks. That's right. why it's been consistency offensively that I think Shanahan has the edge over McVay. And why I would kind of buy into that because I would I would hope that my quarterback stays healthy and that we'll figure things out defensively. So I also by well the justified. Way, I know a lot of people were like there's still a lot of people that hammer Shanahan for for the, the choke job, quote unquote, of the Super Bowl. I would Which have one? to watch the twenty eight three. Um there's two of them. No, that's true. Well, number one, I mean, okay. <laughs> let's start with you got Patrick Mahomes like for one of them right so I'm not even calling that a choke job necessarily and like, Tom Brady for the other yeah well, 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 but okay 28-3 is a different conversation to the other one but like Mahomes hits an insane play when you had him un- under pressure and Jimmy G misses a bomb right those are two plays where you had it called right I think and it just didn't execution got you done right so yeah. I'm not even calling the the Chiefs game a choke or a failure from Kyle Shanahan, other than simply he came on the wrong result of the game. 28-3, given where they were in the game, okay, now you're looking at that and you're saying, right, that's that's actually quite difficult to throw away from that point. We need to at least analyze the coaching performance in that game. I would need to watch it again, and I know it was actually on TV recently. Or did, no, they dumped it out on Twitter, didn't they? They like took advantage of the fact that Twitter let you post five-hour videos now, and I think the NFL actually posted that entire game as a tweet. Um, I'd need to watch it again, but I remember at the time not actually thinking that Shanahan did too much wrong in that game in terms of play calls. Like you want everyone always complains when a guy turtles up and runs the ball endlessly to try and chew clock at the end of the game. And they're like, oh, why didn't you just pass it? Why didn't you stay aggressive? Why didn't you just do the things that put you 28-3 up in the first place? Shanahan did that and just got screwed by the results of those individual plays. And like, you know, a penalty here. That Like, I remember thinking specifically that I don't think he did too much wrong. Maybe like one call 
in that game, you're like, eh, it probably was a little bit too aggressive. But the rest of it was kind of what you want a guy that has that kind of offense to keep doing, and he just got screwed by the way it went. Yeah, I think that's fair. So my point being, well, like, well I, don't, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't hammer him for 28-3. I don't think that's a yeah. reasonable, like, thing. All right, man. So uh, good show. Good discussion. Appreciate the questions. Send those in. Uh, NFL podcast at pff.com. Consultant GM if you have any other questions. Um, we ready to throw to some rugby? Yeah, well, we first of all, in order to, well, as we get to this, we're now in need of a new charity drive. So NFL podcast at pff.com. Send us in suggestions with charity in the title so we can identify those emails. But we need a charity for a start. We need suggestions of who we can donate money to. And we need the thing that we can do. And I think this time, certainly for the next one, probably for the next two or three, we should identify things that are not going to take a giant amount of like legwork to set up, right? Something that we can do immediately. So, you know, me dressing up as you as a baseball player was something that didn't take an awful lot of work. Anything comical with the facial hair, you know, whatever. Something like that, right? Something easy and quick that we can do as a forfeit or as a challenge or as a whatever uh, that we can just rattle through a couple of these and cycle it up again. Because this one charity drive, much as the uh, much as we raise some good money, and thanks to you wonderful people, we've raised like twenty five grand since we started doing this. Awesome. Um, that's great, but we need to pick up the pace. Like the the amount of time this one took us through no fault of anybody else is obnoxious. We need to speed it up. But we made it. Yep. We did it. And uh, we appreciate everybody. This is uh, all your hard work and uh, generosity to uh, to see us play some rugby. So we're going to end the show with this. We're not coming back. So nope. thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Wednesday. Let's take a look at some rugby. Finally here, Steve. Uh, let's rugby. Rugby game. Is, is that what you said for uh, baseball? Let's yeah. let's rugby. Yeah. I don't know if I'm holding the ball the right way, but I got. We can work on it. Got my jersey. Yeah, we've been hooked up. The the good people at the uh, Houston SaberCats gave us each a jersey. Yeah. Um, we've got our our guy. Uh, let's see. Let's give it a shot. Harry Lavascagni. I'm Harry Lavascagni. Perfect. That's what I would have said. Yeah. He, uh, he's given us the videos that we're going to try and replicate, and we, I mean you. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was on video, but when we rolled in here, I nailed two of them before we did anything. Yeah, it's too so if nothing else happens that. on camera, Tyler is my witness. It functioned. Are you beforehand. doing the same drills as me? No, I mean I'll see how you go, and I might take a shot at it. Yeah, we'll see. I'm a gamer, though. I'm a gamer. Number one. I, I just have to. Just gotta hit the post. Under, underhand toss it off. Spiral pass. It's the post. Just need to do. Okay. All right. Ready? What's the technique here? One. Okay. Oh yeah, I gotta get that good form. Not a spiral, but we're hitting the post here. Yeah. That's pretty good. All right. One for one? One for one. 
Got a simple little Okay. And it's he's gotta, going to a... hit the ground. Yeah. Now he's going from a feral range. We're not going to yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. Here he goes. We'll see how good I am at it. And then what? It's just it. Just drop goal. Oh. What's the second part? It's just the drop What's goal. What's he goal. saying? Boom. Okay. So I see the tech. Okay. Oh, got a shot. Eyeball. Boot it up in the air as high as you can get it. So boot it higher than catch it? You gotta catch it, you gotta high point it, right? So you gotta go up and. Again. All right, can't really put too much spin on the ball here. Struggling with that so far. The finer points of the game, I might be uh, might be missing out on here. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So we got one on the ground. Kick that one. That will pop the other one up, and then you drop kick. I mean, I just made you uh, Jack Collinsworth to, Der to Derrick Henry. Right, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's what happened there. Stiff arm to the dirt, made a couple field goals, scored a couple touchdowns. Tries. Yeah. It tries, whatever. But uh, yeah, shout out to our to our rugby friends. Yeah, shout out to the Houston Sabercats and uh, Harry. 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 It's got one of those syllables that doesn't exist in English. It's spelled Jerry. It makes it tricky. Yeah, it's spelled Jerry. Yeah. But it's not pronounced Jerry. But uh, no, it's good. I'm, uh, I have no energy. I'm yeah. out of breath. 
Both of us are very, it was very a lot of work doing six drills. Very, very unfit. But I'm excited about it. We appreciate everybody for for donating. So you got to see a 6'10 near 300 pounder play some rugby. Off the barrel, trick shot.